This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. I'm Dave Brown. It's Friday, February the 3rd, 2023, the three-year anniversary of Now with Dave Brown. And considering some of the controversial stuff I said in the first hour of the show, it might be the last edition of Now with Dave Brown. Coming up in the second hour of the show, Alex Smythe will report live from the Ontario Parasport Games in Whitby. Michael McNeely is also on location today. He'll be visiting the Disability Screen Office and their presence at the CMPA's primetime conference in Ottawa. Now, Michael's going to be in his hotel room, but the dude's been hobnobbing for a couple days. And Greg David stops by to talk about the HBO's The Last of Us, how it's bringing in millions of dollars to the Alberta entertainment economy. Greg David's got more details on that one. But let's begin the hour with the regional news updates. Beginning in BC, the Fraser Health Unit is deploying some new disinfectant wipes. The wipes themselves are colored in bright blue. The blue color will come up on surfaces when rubbed and then fade when the area is cleaned thoroughly. The tech has its roots in the 2014 Ebola outbreak when scientists created the dye so medical teams can see complete disinfection of their protective gear. Fraser Health is using the wipes in its ERs, uh, units experiencing outbreaks, and on frequently touched surfaces in public areas. Over to Ontario. Ontario is creating new interprofessional primary care teams. The model includes nurses, doctors, and social workers. Mental Health Minister Sylvia Jones says the new health care plan will help connect more people to care. We are also investing $30 million to create 18 new interprofessional primary care teams to help bridge the gap in accessing primary care for the vulnerable, marginalized, and unattached patients. The government is expanding existing family health organizations, allowing up to 1,200 more physicians to join the model over the next two years. And finally, into Atlantic Canada, New Brunswick's Premier says a proposed French second language education model is still being developed. The proposed changes would see kindergarten and elementary students spend half the day learning in French and the rest in English. Premier Blaine Higgs says he does not have a final proposal and has not yet mapped out the next steps, but his government will make decisions based on recommendations from the education department. It never was a sure thing, and I think if, if it was, then there wouldn't have been much point in in having consultations it was it was a proposal to say is is there another way that we can actually achieve better success than than uh, 30% and you already know this but as a point of reference new brunswick is canada's only officially bilingual province let's bring in brock richardson it's time for a sports chat <laughs> a little bit of different music for you today brock brock you and i talked about tom brady retiring earlier in the week well now the accountants have pulled out their calculators and said, I wonder how much money Tom Brady made during his career. Brock, you have his earnings standing by, and you've got a pop quiz for me. How much he made in his 23-year career? Okay, so here's what I do know. I promise you I'm, I am going to answer your question, but here's what I do know. I know that 
up until a couple of years ago, Eli Manning had made the most money of any quarterback in NFL history in terms of salary at $252 million. Now, that stat was a couple of years old when Eli retired, and Brady's had a few more years of putting cash in his pocket. So I'm going to bet that he beat Eli's number, and is it 254? Is he is he did beat Eli's number and he is at three hundred and thirty three million dollars over over a twenty three year career. Now, second part of this question, because we said that you know Tom Brady is not going to be starving on the streets while he's retired. His uh, Fox contract came out, and the exact total of that over 10 years came out. Do you recall what that total is? Ooh, okay, okay. I think I think I remember, Brock, I'm, but I'm venturing a guess here. A lot of numbers. You're making me do a lot of math today. Mm. I'm going to say it was $325 million. Close. It was $375 million over 10 years. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So that's, that's a lot of money for broadcasting. I should uh, I should uh, stay with this career a little while longer. <laughs> Apparently go over to Fox as a quarterback, and you'll be, uh, you'll be good. So I, just need, I just need to win a few Super Bowls, Brock, to improve my credibility. <laughs> yeah, right? You and me both. Um, yeah, so in essence... Tom Brady is making more money in 10 years as a broadcaster than he made over 23 years as a quarterback. Isn't that insane? It's, dude, it's totally wild. You, you, but you know what really strikes me about the Brady career earnings number? Certainly the fact that you're in the league for 23 years means you're going to compile some large salaries. But what strikes me about him hitting that big number as a player is that he was renowned for taking pay cuts in his prime to ensure that the New England Patriots could keep signing offensive linemen and defensive players to make sure that his path to Super Bowls was going to be a little bit easier. So imagine if he hadn't been giving those team-friendly discounts. Now, team-friendly discounts, he was still making 18 to $20 million a year. The dude was making tons of scratch while he was doing that. But Brock, can you imagine if he was getting paid market value value how much bigger those career earnings would have been yeah and i think that just goes to show you that you know money is not the end all be all in the world yes it helps it helps pay bills but i'd be quite happy with 18 to 20 million million dollars as a pay cut um versus market value and you know so i think that's it and sometimes you do things like that because you you love sports and I played many, many years in sports and didn't make nearly that amount of money, but there were years I didn't get carded. So I didn't get any, you know, financial compensation and I did it because I wanted to represent the country. I wanted to represent my team. And I think sometimes that happens moreover when you see, you know, championship potential as Tom Brady did many times over. And so even though it looks like, you know, I'd take, you know, that that money, 18 to 20 million as a pay cut, no problem. Um, but, you know, when you could have got market value, I think that sort of stands to test the character and who you are. And you want to win championships more over than making the uh, most money. Yeah, humble humble beginnings for Tom Brady as a sixth-round draft pick and working his way as a backup and not making a ton of money early in his career and really working his way to that GOAT status. Oh, gosh, Tom Brady. And he was and he was taken, remember, in the draft, he was taken after, like, place kickers. And, like, yeah, he, yeah. 
he was low, low down there, and you know he made uh, he made himself into a great career. And I do look forward to seeing him on Fox. I hope that he does better than Tony Romo over longevity. Oof. Tony Romo started as the new sort of, you know, the new uh, hotness. He was the new the hotness. New, he was the new the thing. New hotness. Yeah, and and everybody was like, wow, this guy's calling, you know, the plays before it's happening, and and all this. And and I think that's kind of starting to become old. And I hope Tom Brady doesn't do that. I hope Tom Brady brings a different and fresh, you know, sort of spin to it and can make himself last. So yeah. you and I aren't talking like, you know, a year or two later of, oh, God, he's starting to grow, <laughs> grow old on me. And I hope and I hope Fox does keep, you know, Gronk um, around the Fox panel because I've seen him recently around. And I think... That would be an interesting pairing if they left uh, Rob Gronkowski around that panel with uh, Tom Brady. So we'll see what happens. But none of those details, other than the money, have been yeah. shedded it's, out right it's, now. It's actually a bit of a bummer because Kevin Burkhart and Greg Olson, who've been the the one the number one team at Fox, they're the team that's likely going to be calling the Super Bowl next weekend. They did just a great job this year. And Greg Olson was spectacular in that one booth but you have to remember Greg Olson spent a couple of years working on some of the B and C and D teams with the Fox broadcasting crew after retiring as a tight end in the league and he really worked his way up there and is just doing fabulous work with Kevin Burkhart so Tom Brady obviously at that kind of money is going to be put into the A booth I don't know what they want to do I don't know if it's going to be a three-man booth I don't know if they're going to demote Greg Olson if I was Greg Olson's agent I'd say let's see if we can get you somewhere else because uh, you're doing excellent work yourself and maybe there's an opportunity for you uh, to go elsewhere but either way Tom Brady I have no doubt is going to be good at this job because Tom Brady has the work ethic to be good at pretty much everything is it is it guaranteed that he's going to be in the booth though or is he going to be I haven't seen for sure maybe you have is he or is it could he be on the panels as well the, the speculation has been that he's going to be in the the a booth that he's going to be their, okay, num, their number gotcha. one their number one col gotcha. color commentary guy but but you're right brock it it, it 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 would be very possible for them to put him on the panel that's a lot of money to put on your panel though but yeah it is but but either way i you know i, I think the guy's going to be good i just don't know if he's going to be greg olson good <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, brock let's uh, jump over to something different here in the world of junior hockey a couple days ago connor bedard and his team went to visit the Calgary Hitmen at the Calgary Saddle Dome. And you could say, oh, sure, the game got sold out. But let's be clear. Connor Bedard sold out the Saddle Dome. Yeah. And people wanted to watch this phenom who's going to go number one in the NHL draft this year put on a show. And he did, scoring pretty much <laughs> a few minutes into the mm. first period. But, Brock, your mm. reaction to Connor Bedard selling out the Saddle Dome? That's it's an amazing thing, you know. You, the fact that they can, you know, do that, and a one player can have that much of an impact as a junior hockey player, and you know, you're you're representing the WHL, and that's pretty cool. I, I love it. I think Connor Bedard is is going to be a generational talent. I think if you're in the Western region, you need to go check him out now before the tickets prices become astronomical to go watch him which spawned my question to you dave if you had uh, your choice which generational player of any sport would you want to go and see before they turn pro who would it be and why 
I would have loved to have been at the World Basketball Championships in the spring of 2018 when Luka Doncic went out and showed the world that he was going to be the best basketball player breathing oxygen by 2026. He was so dominant in that tournament and he was going as a one-man show for Slovenia, taking on some of the best NBA talent in the world, just exposing them. I would have given anything to have been there to see Luka Doncic doing that what about you brock for me there's uh two players that come to mind and and one would be the obvious wayne gretzky and the other one would be uh sydney crosby i i've mentioned many times on this program that you know sydney crosby brought me into the love of of uh sports and hockey and i would have just loved to see him live into his you know early days and he just put on a show on the world juniors when he went and uh, it was it was really good and so to me those are the two athletes i would i would pick yeah those are great choices hey brock thank you for this have a great weekend you as well that is brock richardson he is the host of the neutral zone and at the ami sports desk mike ross is at the ami weather desk Thanks very much, Dave. It is your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. We begin in Cornerbrook, Newfoundland, where there will be snow today and about 10 centimeters in total. Your high is plus one. The wind chill, minus 13. In Charlottetown, PEI, flurries, about two centimeters in total. The temperature falling to minus 15. The wind chill, though, minus 28 this afternoon. St. John, New Brunswick will have periods of snow, then a mix of sun and clouds. The temperature, minus 19. The wind chill, minus 34. Into Quebec City, mainly sunny. The temperature, though, minus 27. The wind chill, minus 33 this morning, minus 45 this afternoon. So frostbite can happen in minutes. A bundle up there. Toronto, mainly sunny with a high of minus 13. The wind chill this afternoon, minus 23 in Sault Ste. Marie. It'll be a mix of sun and cloud with a high of minus 15 and a wind chill of minus 20. Let's go to Brandon, Manitoba next. Cloudy with a high of minus 14. The wind chill this afternoon is minus 23. In Regina, it'll be mainly sunny. The high is minus 7, but the wind chill making it feel more like minus 35 this morning and minus 13 this afternoon. Lethbridge, Alberta has a mix of sun and cloud and a high of 9 degrees today. Red Deer, Alberta, a mix of sun and cloud, the high plus three, the wind chill minus 15. In Whitehorse, a mix of sun and cloud and a high of minus nine. Your wind chill this afternoon is minus 14. Let's go to Kelowna, BC, a mix of sun and cloud today with a high of plus one, the wind chill minus eight. And in Vancouver, cloudy with some rain in the afternoon, and your high today is nine degrees. And that was your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Mike, not sure if you heard uh, Brock's last question there. An athlete you would have loved to have seen before they were uber famous. Do you have a good answer for that one? Usain Bolt. Oh, yeah. I would love, and I don't know if a lot of people are going to go with an individual sport, especially a sport that is is uh, so infrequently on uh, our radar, being track and field. But yeah, I would love to have seen Usain Bolt run. Mm-hmm. That's uh, a great good personality, um, but just such a tremendous athlete that yeah, I would like to have oh, seen him. Great answer, Mike. Thank. I knew you'd have. A, I knew you'd have a good answer for that. Thanks for this, Mike. 
Okay, Dave. That's Mike Ross from one mic to another. Coming up next, Michael McNeely will discuss the Disability Screen Office and their presence at the CMPA's primetime conference in Ottawa. But first, Samsung has unveiled their new line of flagship phones. Mike Dubesky has more in Tech Trends. Android authorities C. Scott Brown says Samsung's latest line of flagship smartphones now share a common design language. So you'll see individual camera lenses protruding out from the backs of the phones, which I think looks pretty classy. It's much more minimal. On the S23 and S23 Plus, those cameras remain largely unchanged from last year. Only the top-end S23 Ultra gets a new 200-megapixel sensor, but at the same time, Samsung is downgrading that phone's selfie camera. It's a very Wizard of Oz kind of situation. Pay no attention to the camera on the front of the phone. Bigger changes happen under the hood, where the company has abandoned its own processors, instead using chips made by Qualcomm. Basically taking its Qualcomm Snapdragon 8 Gen 2 smartphone processor that came out at the end of last year and tweaking it ever so slightly for the Galaxy S series. With Tech Trends, I'm Mike Dubusky, ABC News. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. The Canadian Media Producers Association is currently hosting their primetime conference in Ottawa. Here to share a recap is Michael McNeely. Michael is attending the event as a delegate for the Disability Screen Office. Hey, good morning, Michael. Good morning. How are you? I'm well. So, Michael, what's the core focus of the primetime conference? I think the core focus of the primetime conference is to allow the Canadian media industry a chance to meet each other, a chance to understand some of the industry um, highlights and the trends that are happening. Just like you were talking about the phone camera, this is where everybody in the Canadian media industry is talking about what the new streaming platforms are going to be, what the new um, differentiative broadcasters and cable networks will be, all that kind of stuff. What discussions have you taken in so far? Well, I I think I probably need a degree in to understand the broadcasting aspect, but I've been enjoying uh, talking with others about the representation of people with disabilities and the importance of allowing people with disabilities to control the content that they're creating or that is being created about them. So I think that's been the most interesting part for me. I don't care about the alliances or the multi-corporations that seem to be partnering every time we have breakfast. You're attending the event representing the Disability Screen Office. What does the DSO represent? Well, the DSO stands for the Disability Screen Office, as you mentioned. And they are an organization that is seeking to promote a partnership between artists and creators with disabilities and the Canadian media industry. I think what's been interesting so far is that the the industry was not created with people with disabilities in mind. And so we're having to do a lot of work and a lot of advocacy and a lot of enforcing, a lot of informing others of the needs of people with disabilities. So for example, this conference is the first one they've actually acknowledged that it's the first one that's provided accommodations for people with disabilities. 
and as Carvins has been going on for about 20 years. What are some of the projects or points of advocacy that the delegates are working on? Yes, I forgot to mention that there were five delegates that were sent, and I'm one of them. But what I want to do is mention another one of my friends. Her name is Emily. And we did talk about Emily when we talked about pitching back in September with the wheel abilities. I, I mentioned her presentation that she did. She did a fantastic job then. And now she's pitching a few different projects. I will talk about one of them. It's called The Book of Shadows. And basically the work line is when an invading race of deadly parasitic aliens threatens all life on Earth, an estranged coven of magical ghost superheroes must begrudgingly reunite, resolve their fraught interpersonal relationships, and find a way to reawaken the mysteriously dormant supernatural powers. I don't know about you, but that sounds like fun. <laughs> and I'm excited to see where Emily goes after this. I think she's found a niche of, you know, we need we need more stories like this, and we need more stories from people like Emily. So that's really why this delegation is going in the first place. Yeah. Emily is fully, if I didn't mention her last name. Yeah, I would watch that for sure. That That's a pitch that I would green light through and through. Michael, you mentioned this is the first time this event itself is offering accommodations. How are you finding accessibility at the conference? Well, you know, um, accessibility is always a learning curve. We have been proud of the fact that we're working with the organizers to, to implement accessibility across the board. So this morning I did have I did have breakfast with the ASL interpreters who have survived the cold to get to work today. Um, and we also talked to the cut captioner or coordinator. So we do have captioning and it's a fantastic service to have. I think one of the things that I would mention for improvement and we'll also talk a little bit about that later is the lighting, the lighting could be improved. It was a bit dim this morning at the conference room. So it was hard to, it was hard to lip read other people. It was hard to see other people. And it's, it's also challenging too when you're navigating such a big space and it's dark. Whenever I attend a conference like this, Michael, I always find myself struggling to get everything that I want out of it. I'm always very busy. I'm distracted. I don't quite know what to look for. What are some tips that you have to make the most out of conferences like these? Well, you know, what's interesting is that this is my first conference after COVID, and I still don't feel comfortable in large crowds. I'm still, I don't know if I will ever feel comfortable in large crowds. We have a large crowds at this event and we have lots of mitzvahs and shoshus. And so I think it's easy to feel overwhelmed. It's easy to feel pressured to try and meet all these other people and to feel like you have to get to know everyone. But also another accessibility feature that I didn't mention is that we have a sensory room for people with disabilities or people who just need a a low-key area to chill out and to relax. So I've been using that space, and it's been a quiet space just to reflect on what's going on. So I would mention that, you know, first 
devote not to feel pressure to do anything that you don't want to and to pay attention to your energy levels. And, you know, to try and feel like you've been successful after doing one or two things, because I think that's that's pretty much what most of us can do anyway. Michael, this event is not strictly about disability and accessibility. It's about Canada's entertainment industry. To your mind, what does the Canadian entertainment industry look like in 2023 and beyond? Well, as you may know, we've been talking about Bill C-11 over here. We've been talking about the progress of the bill in Parliament. We can see Parliament from the hotel so people are very uh, interested and passionate about the advocacy that this bill will bring, in, bring into the industry. And ultimately, from my understanding, the bill is really about the sharing of Canadian content across the, across the world. We want, for example, we want to be able to monetize what we create or what we end up hoping to create. So I think one of the examples was Umbrella Academy has Elliot Page, who is a Canadian actor, but um, the makers of Umbrella Academy have just been using that as an excuse to use Canadian Canadian resources without necessarily giving the Canadian resources credit or us financial backing. So I think that means we're kind of we're kind of taking a dip in terms of economic uh, production. So I think Canada just wants to be seen as a viable economic partner and as a as a concierge to be able to create these productions that everyone else seems to love and appreciate but they don't quite recognize as being canadian let's circle back to the disability screen office where can people learn more about the work being done by the dso well i think a quick google search of disability screen office will suffice I've been told by the interim executive director that it's just a landing page right now. So we're going to be inspecting some new developments, especially once the permanent executive director is named after April of this year. All right. We've been talking about the advocacy efforts that are required by the Disability Screen Office, and there'll be more opportunities coming out for everyone to get involved. Very good. Michael, thank you for this. Have a great day. Enjoy the rest of the conference. Thank you. And trying to stay warm today. I uh, will do my best. It was Today was one of those days where I immediately regretted walking to work uh, right after I walked out the door. Uh, that's Michael McNeely. You can find him on Twitter at Michael D. McNeely, at Michael D. McNeely. And McNeely is spelt M-C-N-E-E-L-Y. Coming up after the break, Alex Smythe reports live from the Ontario Parasport Games in Whitby, a little bit down the 401 with Alex Smythe. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. The Ontario Parasport Games are taking place all over the Durham region of the GTA this weekend. Alex Smythe is on location at the Ability Centre in Whitby, Ontario, and he's here to tell you all about it. Hey, Alex, this event is just kicking off as we speak. What's the vibe like over there? Well, uh, you, you know, Dave, as you mentioned, it's literally just kicking off. We just had the first puck drop 
of the uh, first game of para ice hockey. And uh, there, there was a uh, unique aspects to it. Uh, there is a robotic dog that did the puck drop. That's something that we'll cover a bit more as we, we do interviews throughout the day, but uh, Everyone's excited to get started. They're setting up for the opening ceremonies that are going to be taking place later tonight. So there's there's a lot of happy faces, a lot of great energy. So people are excited to get things started. Well, Alex, and, you, you've got a guest over there, so bring them in. Yep, absolutely. So as you mentioned, I am joined by Don Terry, who is the co-chair of the Durham Region 2023 Ontario Parasport Games. Hopefully I got that title complete. You nailed it. That was okay. awesome. Perfect. So, Don, can you tell us a bit more about what is happening this weekend in terms of the Ontario Parasport Games? What can people expect? How many athletes are going to be here? Things like that. Yeah, we're looking at over 300 athletes coming from across the province. I think the farthest way is Thunder Bay. Um, they're coming here to compete in 11 different uh, parasports. And we also have four demo sports that we're hoping to grow in the region following the games. So it's a, it's a great number of people that are coming that have to be accommodated and fed and transported from event to event. So it's a lot of work, but it's, it's, uh, it's so rewarding to, to see them compete with such uh, competitive, competitiveness, but also such great passion as well. Now, you mentioned uh, the demo sports and the, uh, the actual competitive sports. What sports are being played this weekend? Can you and then elaborate on the demo sports? Sure. There's 11 different sports that are being played. And let's see, this is a good test for me, right? Uh, we'll start with uh, wheelchair tennis is being played. We have uh, uh, boccia. We have sitting volleyball, sledge hockey. We have uh, five-a-side or blind soccer. We have visually impaired and wheelchair curling. We have uh, para-alpine and para-equestrian. And oh, bocha or no, not bocha. Sorry, uh, goal ball. Uh, I think I, I think that's all of them. And then the four demo sports we're really excited about. One is uh, power hockey, uh, which is uh, a new program that we'll be piloting in Durham Region uh, following the games. Which is part of our objective with all of our demo sports is that people will actually be able to play them. The other one we're excited about is para equestrian. It's being held up at Windreach Farm in, in North Whitby, and it's such an appropriate place because Sandy Mitchell, the founder of that uh, uh, working farm that's fully accessible, uh, is a three-time Paralympian in paradressage. So that's a really cool. And then we have floor curling here at the Ability Centre, which is just like regular curling, except there's no ice. Um, and then the the last thing that we have here also, which is really cool, uh, with one of our partners, uh, Aspire Climbing, is actually paraclimbing or adaptive climbing. Um, and they're completely certified. So we're inviting all the athletes to come and try this new sport. And can you talk a bit about the accessibility uh, features of all these different venues? You kind of touched on a few of them, but, you know, he, the Ability Centre where we are currently, it's it's remarkable. So can you just kind of expand on it, what people and athletes can expect in terms of the accessibility features during this weekend? Yeah, we're, we're, uh, we're really fortunate in Durham that uh, all of our venues are accessible. We had to make one, we have to make one modification for curling because, of course, curling uh, facilities were all built in the 60s and they're built to keep the uh, warm area up and away from the ice. 
So although there is a lift there, it's not sufficiently fast enough for us to get all of our wheelchair curlers down to the ice. So we bring in a temporary ramp. But all of our other facilities are completely accessible. We're really excited following the 2019 games when we hosted, we actually modified one of the rinks here in Whitby at Iroquois Park. So it's now completely accessible for sledge hockey. We got rid of the wooden boards, put in uh, see-through boards, widened the entrances, lowered them, um, got removable benches. Um, so that players can leave the ice between shifts, which is not something they're able to do at most arenas. And we did the penalty boxes too. Well, those, those are important. You know, there's going to be some penalties in, in uh, para ice hockey, but that's remarkable to hear. It's just all the work that's gone in to make these venues accessible so you can hold and host these games more regularly. But can you talk a bit about the logistics that go into it? Because you're hosting games and uh, uh, sports at a number of venues. What is the logistics and the planning that has to go into to organize the Ontario Parasport Games? Yeah, well, it takes us over a year to get to get ready. Uh, we have uh, 26 people on our games organizing committee. Um, for for some of us, it's essentially become a full time volunteer gig. For you know the last six months, um, you know we have to uh, we have to find hotels we have to find hotels that have accessible rooms um, we have to provide all the meals and meet everybody's dietary needs uh, we have to get them to and from um, their events from the hotel to the event which requires special transportation and Durham region transit has been fantastic in supporting with us with that so it, it is it's a lot of work but um, you know when you see the athletes out there competing and you see the smiles on their face even though they're fiercely competing um, that's what makes it all worthwhile. Why is Durham a great spot to host the games? You know, Durham is a, it's a community that, that embraces and celebrates inclusivity and accessibility. We have so many great facilities like this one at the Ability Center, Grandview Kids, um, Windreach, that, that all are supportive of people with disabilities. And when we put out a call for our community to, whether it be to knit, toques or headbands uh, for athletes like we're overrun with knitters um, when we ask for volunteers we have to shut our portal down in a week um, we're just this community is just really um, is really super and really wants to be inclusive that's phenomenal to hear Don now for you personally what are you most looking forward to this weekend it's been a long time coming a lot of planning the weekend's finally here what are you most excited about would it be wrong to say my bed on Sunday night? Um, no, actually, you know what I love is we we have an initiative we call Be the Roar, and we invite people from the community, schools, clubs, uh, businesses to form a fan club for athletes and teams, and then come out and cheer for them. And that's what really gets me excited because in 2019 for sledge hockey, it was standing room only, over 300 people for every game, and and I still get goosebumps thinking about it because it meant so much to the athletes. For some of them, they've competed internationally, but for others, this will be the pinnacle of their athletic career, and they've worked so hard to get here. Um, and it's so cool for them to be able to showcase themselves in front of all kinds of people. And, and finally, where can folks at home go to find out more information and maybe find out the schedules of when games are happening so they can come out and, and cheer and support the uh, the athletes that they can be? Yeah, we would love people just to visit our website at DurhamRegion2023.ca. We're on social media under Sport Durham. And if you're coming out, the other thing that we're doing is there's no admission fee. So people can come free of cost, but we're encouraging them if they can to bring a, a donation of a, a, a non-perishable food to support Feed the Need in Durham. 
That's remarkable, Don. Thank you so much for uh, taking the time to chat with me and, and and filling in folks at home about the Durham 2023, Durham Region 2023 Ontario Parasport Games. It's a ton of fun. I can't wait to check out more and to see what all the athletes get up to and the, the competitions that happen here. That's great. Well, thank you very much for having uh, coming out and, and helping us spread the word, build that roar. And uh, I look forward to welcoming everybody here. Thank you. So, Dave, you heard, you got to build that roar, and, and fans <laughs> are encouraged to come out and support the athletes all weekend long. Well, if somebody wants to give me a drive down the 401, I'll be okay, Alex, but a little too cold to walk to Durham this afternoon from uh, North York. I'll say that much. Alex, you're on site all day. Good luck with your interviews, and uh, we'll talk to you on Monday, sir. Yeah, thanks, Dave. I'm looking forward to it. That's Alex Smythe on location at the Ontario Parasport Games in Whitby, Ontario at the Ability Centre. Alex will be interviewing a few folks as the day moves along. And AMI-audio is going to have coverage of the event tomorrow as well. I know uh, Mike Ross and Andy Frank are going to be uh, schlepping all over the Durham region, checking in with a couple of different athletes as the day moves along as well. So AMI-TV and AMI-audio have you covered in terms of the Ontario Parasport Games. Coming up after the break. HBO's The Last of Us, that TV show, is not just a cultural phenomenon. It's also bringing in millions of dollars to the province of Alberta. Greg David will count some of those dollars with you after the break. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. The wheels of production are always rolling around AMI, and some really exciting news came out last week. Filming for season two of Fashion Dis is underway. Greg David is going to have some details about what to expect and why the show really ended up catching so much interest last year. But here's a little taste from season one. In this clip, para-athlete Claire is getting some tips from a fashion stylist. Do you have issues with footwear and with shoes? Yes. I can't remember the last time I bought brand new shoes. I think these were the last brand new shoes I bought. Have you ever done any searches for adaptive shoes? No. I've never thought of adaptive clothing as an avenue that I can go down. So I'm going to show you these black high tops that I just love. When you zip them open, they completely expose wow. the inside of the shoe. Yeah, that's fantastic. We are going to start putting your look together for the fashion shoot. Okay. How do you feel about that? I've had a blast so far, so I can only imagine how much fun the photo shoot's going to be. I'm ready for any outfit that gets thrown my way. AMI communication specialist Craig David has some insight on season two of Fashion Dis and joins the show from Chelsea, Quebec. Hey, good morning, Greg. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. And just a quick shout out to that's Claire Buchanan from AMI's Own the Neutral Zone. Heck yeah. Claire does a great job with uh, Brock and the rest of the gang there. Uh, whether folks listen to the show on AMI Audio, download the podcast or watch on YouTube, it's definitely worth your time as a close look into the world of sport and parasport. So, Greg... You and I are oftentimes talking about some of the awesome programming going on around AMI, but there was something about fashion discs that, that really captivated people. Why do you think that was? Oh, I, I think that, you know, I, 
for there are two reasons. One is that fashion and anything to do with fashion and DIY and making yourself over is a huge genre anyway and always attracts attention. But in particular, fashion this, as it was shown in the clip, you know, Claire uh, has a limb difference and thought that she that there was nothing available for her when it came to adaptive clothing. And so we're opening up a door to all the participants on the show realizing that there is adaptive, um, you know, footwear, clothing, ways to apply makeup, all these different ways that you can glam yourself up that you didn't realize that we're out there uh, before. So it's equal parts educating and also entertaining as heck. Yeah, it, it was a perfect example of AMI making a show that reflected what was going on inside the mainstream, but putting mm -hmm. that incredible disability lens on it, I thought it was just phenomenal. And of course, the host of the show, Ardor Shepard, is remarkable as well. So that, that'll help people uh, get, get drawn into the show as well. So Greg, as, as you look ahead into segment, uh, it's not segment two, but season two here, who, <laughs> yeah. I, I know, I know, I'm, I've got segments on the brain. Who are some of the experts that are helping participants with their looks this season? Yes, we've got Ardra Shepard back as the host and co-creator of the show, and she's a member of the disability community, the multiple sclerosis community, and it was really her brainchild. So she's back as the host. We also have Bella Strange back as the makeup artist oh, right for the on. second season, as well as Susan Shipley. Uh, we've got all the – we only have one uh, new member to the expert panel. So Susan Shipley is back as the hairstylist. Izzy Camilleri, who is so fantastic as the style expert, and uh, she's back, as is Melanie Lawrence, who is the art director so she works with the photographer and also the participants on the show to to make their look great for the professional photo shoot that they get at the end and we're excited to announce that Elkan Amin is the photographer for season two of Fashion Disc. He's new to the panel and uh, we're welcoming him to the AMI family. Oh yeah this is a great crew together they're going to do phenomenal work I cannot wait to see it hit the airwaves. Greg for years now on the three-year anniversary of the launch of Now with Dave Brown we've been trying to get me a clothing sponsor and we just can't do it the clothing companies keep saying dave you're just too wide you're just too large and in charge we can't supply you that said the fashion disc crew because everyone's so beautiful they had some companies step up here so who are some of the companies that are supplying clothing makeup and accessories for season two yeah, clearly we need to connect you with one of these companies. So uh, uh, June Adaptive is back, as is Byacre and Rolls. They both make uh, glammed-up rollators. Magna Ready Clothing has returned, as has Billy Footwear and Slick, Jick, Slick Chicks excuse me, and Cheekbone Beauty. So those are some of the returning partners of, so who, uh, who supply clothing and, uh, and makeup supplies and that type of thing. But we've got a whole bunch of new partners that include iDesign, who we've worked with. Uh, they do Braille clothing, which is fantastic. Blue Dahlia, which is makeup, uh, uh, it actually fits is uh, is a clothing company, uh, which <laughs> with a great great name. Deaf Metal, which is awesome. When I Google them, it turns out that they make really cool uh, earpieces. Uh, if you remember the deaf or hard of hearing community, uh, some awesome stuff. So they're part of the sponsor. So we've got over a dozen partners that have uh, that are part of uh, Fashion Disc, and you're going to see uh, their stuff featured every week on the show. It actually fits as in a statement that I make oftentimes when I'm trying clothes on, being like, ah, it actually fits. It's uh, yeah. always an exciting moment, yeah. uh, especially post-pandemic. Greg, filming is just underway now, but do you have a sense, do you have an idea when season two is going to debut? I do. I, I have the date. It's on my wall, and I just looked at it, and I thought, can I give them the scoop? 
Let's just say um, April showers bring May flowers. Oh, that was well done, Greg. That I may be well getting done. fired after this. I've uh, already said a couple things in the first hour of the show that have me in trouble today. So you and I can uh, go hang out to the unemployment line together. Uh, Greg, let's jump into a different element here. As we were talking to Michael McNeely earlier in this hour about the primetime event going on, about mm -hmm. the Canadian entertainment industry, we were talking about the importance of Canadian production. It's also something that you and I have talked about a lot on this show. Yep. TV series about zombies have uh, become a dime a dozen, but there's one that has become an absolute cultural phenomenon in the last three weeks. It's HBO's The Last of Us, breaking records all over the place in terms of ratings, mm -hmm. but it's also been a big boon for the Alberta economy. Greg, before I get into the Canadian side of this conversation and the production side, what do you? What is it about The Last of Us that seems to have become such a cultural zeitgeist in like in like less than a month? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the third episode was just broadcast this past Sunday, and it's already taken off. Uh, it airs Sundays on HBO and Crave, and it's based on a video game for PlayStation that, that came out a, a while ago. Um, the TV show is set in 2023, so today, and it follows a group of survivors of a fungal infection that sparked a global pandemic. Very timely, uh, this fungal infection spread by a genus of mushrooms turns humans into zombie-like creatures that bite and consume other humans. Uh, so that's, you know, that, that's the genesis of the show. Uh, the, st the show stars Pedro Pascal oh, from yeah. The Mandalorian. Oh, man. He's become like the it actor. Um, uh, he plays Joe, a smuggler who escorts a young woman who appears to be immune from a zombie bite across the U.S. where they're going to meet up with a group of resistance fighters who are against the new U.S. government that has turned the country into a police state. So, you know, as we talk about this, it's a genre that it has been done before, you know, so trying to get somebody across the country, the people and the bad people that they run into along the way. But there's just something about the performances and the show that we're going to get into uh, in our chat that is just, you know, it's everybody's talking about it. It's become the water cooler show right now. So, Greg, typically a lot of video game converted content tends to be pretty cruddy. In this case, though, the video game itself was really well received for its like for the actual cinematic storyline yeah. that it told. Do you think that might be the secret sauce here that the producers on the show were already getting their hands on something that had a phenomenal story? Yeah, not only that, but one of the executive producers is the guy that co-created The Last of Us video game. So I think mm. that's a really important part of it. And first of all, I just want to let people know you don't need to have played the game or even be aware of the game to watch the show. I knew nothing about it when I tuned in, and it didn't mean anything to me. But the video game itself has been ranked among the best of all time. Mm -hmm. And players that tune in to watch it are loving the TV adaptation not only because it sticks to the source material and has cast the you know actors and actresses that look very much like the original video game characters, but even beloved secondary characters are getting uh, built out storylines and that's really making people excited as well. Sunday's most recent episode, for instance, rounded out the storyline of Bill and Frank. It really expanded their personal relationship in a way that the game only really hinted at and people have really loved that. And it's sticking to that source material that I think is really important. Again, a show like Halo that came out a couple of years ago on Paramount Plus, or a year ago, excuse me, um, took some knocks because it deviated so much away from the game, but that isn't the case for The Last of Us. Mm -hmm. Greg, I have to apologize. We've only got about two minutes on the clock yep. here, but how much money is this pumped into the Alberta economy as the show was filmed around Calgary? 
Yeah, over 17 months, uh, a total of 90 million has been invested into Alberta, which is a crazy amount of money. Uh, they've gone so much as the Bill and Frank storyline that I just mentioned involved the construction of a small town. It took three months to build. Uh, they built a New England-style town complete with white picket fences and clapboard houses, stores, and a church. And they shipped in grass from Vancouver just to green the area. Oh, wow. Uh, so when you're putting that kind of money and commitment into a show, it adds up. Uh, but it also looks good as well. And it led to... Uh, more than 900 members of the IATSE union being hired to work on the show alone. So a lot of people and a lot of money being spent. My goodness. Uh, Greg, you can tell this one is doing well because, again, it's already huge on the ratings. It's huge in the conversation. It's to the point that I'm going to subscribe to Crave just to watch it. That's That should tell you yep. just kind of where this is at, that it's going to get me to pull up my credit card and actually subscribe to something. Yeah, yeah, it really is incredible. And again, I would I would encourage anybody to check it out. It's just a good show. Whether you're into zombies, whether you're into video games, it doesn't matter. It's just a good show about a bunch of interesting characters. And that's what makes it important and, and alluring to me. Greg, you are the best. Always great wrapping up the broadcast week with you. Have yourself a wicked weekend, and we'll talk to you in two weeks. Sounds great. Thanks a lot, Dave. That's Greg David, communication specialist with AMI, speaking to you from Chelsea, Quebec. It's all the time we have for the show today. It's all the time we have for the show this week. Before we roll the credits and say a big thank you to the people who work behind the scenes on the show, this week was particularly difficult as there was a lot of illness running around the Now with Dave Brown family. So thank you to everybody who was wearing a different hat. We'll talk to you again on Monday, 9 a.m. Eastern Time. Until then, I'm Dave Brown reminding you to play safe, play fair, but don't forget to have some fun. Host, Dave Brown. Co-host producer, Alex Smythe. Sports reporter, Brock Richardson. Contributors, Rami Amuthan and Nazreen Abdel-Majid. Senior show producer, Andrika Delanerol. Visual producer, Bruce Baclarian. Producers, Paul Daniel, Marianne Dion-Jones. Production assistant, Kingsley Juco. Director, Anastasia Spalding-Stenhouse. Control room operators, Daniel Panamondo, Eliza Rocco, Parker Oxtoby. Manager of operations, Kyle Harper. Manager of live production, Paula Deneen. Director of content development, Kara Nye. Vice President of Programming, John Melville. President and CEO, David Arrington. Give us your feedback, 1-866-509-4545. Copyright 2023, Accessible Media, Inc. NAMI Original Production. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern Time on AMI-tv. Join us weekly for The Pulse with host Juita Gupta, who brings us closer to issues impacting the disability community across Canada. Watch The Pulse on YouTube or listen wherever you download your AMI podcasts.